Doc Talk is brought to you by Merck Animal Health. By integrating the comprehensive animal health product portfolio of Merck Animal Health with the innovative technologies of all flex livestock intelligence, we are shaping the future of animal health, resulting in more effective solutions and healthier animals. Hey folks, welcome to Doc Talk. We have a great show. Have a uh, someone that's a special friend and has been a common guest here on the show, Dr. Casey Olson here at Kansas State University. Today we're going to talk about drought, drought prep, and what happens when you aren't ready for drought. Stay tuned. Hey folks, welcome to Doc Talk. I'm Dr. Dan Thompson. I'm here with my friend and colleague, Dr. Casey Olson. He is the Lewis Chair of Grazing Livestock Nutrition here at Kansas State University. And uh, man, good to see you. It's good to see you, Doc. Good <laughs> and to be back. <laughs> it's good to be in Kansas. Good to be at K-State and uh, good to be with my good friend here. And we're going to talk about drought. And uh, you're going to start off by telling us a little bit about the history of drought, right? Yes. And, and my knowledge of drought history in the Great Plains goes back to a seminal study that was done in the, the late 2010s where some poor graduate students had to cut down 150-year-old trees, count the rings, and, and count the, uh, the drought scars within the rings. And they did that all over the Great Plains. But what they found out is since 1700, there have been basically a third of the time drought conditions have, have uh, prevailed. You know, when most of the time drought is a mild thing and we get through it without major uh, interruptions in production. But when it is severe, I mean, all of you were alive back in the 2011 to 2013 uh, time frame. When it is severe, it really pays to do some planning. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing to me that we get into these, these situations and we think we're going through it for the first time. True. You know, and, and well, we're just, it's just about being ready and anticipating a drought. When, well, when I was growing up, I was growing up in an area where annual rainfall was about nine inches a year, and some of that was snow. You know where I'm talking <laughs> yeah. about, right? Um, we, knew, we knew drought was coming, and I never remember um, talking about drought outside of a dry time, and I never saw any kind of a drought plan on paper or otherwise that told us how we were gonna behave when a drought happened. Yeah, so, so during these studies and, and things like that, so you know, we hear about global warming, climate change, you know, obviously climates are gonna change. They do. Yeah, so, but what, what you're saying is that it, this, did it happen more frequently a hundred years ago, or is it happening more frequently now? Is it evidently, just not the same? Evidently not. I mean, the occurrence of severe drought is pretty regular. Um, you know, I've heard the prognosticators say that, you know, as, as climate change or climate volatility increases, we can expect heavier rainy periods and we can expect more intense dry periods. We'll have to wait and see if that's actually the case. But, uh, you know, I'm not one to, to think about gloom and doom. Uh, I'd rather prepare and just be ready when drought happens. And having lived through some recently, uh, I can share some information about how my, my, myself and my employees coped with it. Yeah, so as we think about drought, you know, what are some of the, is in prep and, and things of that nature, what are your big buckets or what are your main right. points? So um, 
when I first came to K-State, young faculty member running university cows on 80% leased land, uh, that kind of scared me. You know, if, if a landlord didn't think I was treating that resource correctly, they were going to boot me out. Right. So I went to some good friends within RCS and I said, I want you to train me how to, how to write and how to execute a drought management plan. <laughs> and so did they? They did. And so obviously that'd be a good resource for farmers and ranchers to go work with their, their local NRCS. Um, and then as you, as you develop that or they, they drew it up, um, I take it that, that it's something you worked on together or? Well, initially, yes. But every drought management plan needs to get refined by the user. And it really comes down to this. You know, it, you need to know what normal looks like so you'll recognize abnormal when it shows up. Gotcha. So, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to get into abnormal versus normal. And we're going to get into some of the things that you can do to, to plan and prepare for drought. Hey folks, welcome back to Doc Talk. Dr. Dan Thompson here with Dr. Casey Olson, who is the Lewis Professor, Lewis Chair of Grazing Livestock Nutrition and is a professor at Kansas State University in the Department of Animal Science. We have uh, been talking about drought. We're getting prepared for drought. So why is it important? Well, um, if you don't have a piece of paper or some kind of document that teaches you how to behave when drought becomes profound, your decision-making is going to be driven by two things, fear and procrastination. You know, I know, I know this uh, from you know, my youth, watching people uh, lose carrying capacity to drought, watching people forced to think about having to market a very valuable genetic resource um, because they delayed too long in their decision-making. So the main reason to have a drought management plan on paper is so it takes the emotion out of the situation. Those are your rules of behavior when certain benchmarks for moisture, certain benchmarks for forage productivity are not met. So being able to think about it while you have a clear head versus just reacting to the emotion of, of right. and making a snap decision. A, a Colorado rancher who is anonymous made a quote that I just love. He said, it, it would be not having a drought management plan is like a general going into battle without a battle plan. You got bombs dropping all around you. Your decision making will not be clear. Right. You need to know what you're doing ahead of time. Yeah. So, so I think it's a great reason, and and we see the same thing with like a heat stress mitigation plan and feed yards. You know, you, you want to make sure the things are getting done, and you want to make sure you're not duplicating effort. It's 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 yes. that it's that simple. So, so talk about what goes into building a plan. Okay. The first thing you need to do is figure out what normal looks like on your own place. So I have here what's known as a range stick, okay, by the NRCS. So all it is is really a yardstick. And uh, every June and every August on every pasture that I own or lease, I'm going to take 100 steps with this in my hand. And every time I, I, I stop, it goes to the ground, okay, and I'm just measuring how high that grass is. Okay, and using a little scale on the side of the stick, um, it tells me, based on how tall that grass is, how much forage I can expect there to be per acre. And, you know, it's not precise for any one measurement because I'm doing it a hundred times. It's very uh, accurate overall. Uh, much more so than clipping a plot, a handful of plots, for example. You're not throwing the Frisbee? 
I'm not throwing the Frisbee. I'm just <laughs> picking a typical range site and walking in a straight line for 100 steps. Perfect. The other piece of that, okay, is you need to become a weather geek, which the older I get, the more geeky I get about weather. <laughs> but um, Everybody that watches this show is a weather geek. I okay. guarantee you. We're well, all weather geeks. <laughs> I'm in good company then. So going back to uh, 2005, I keep a running total of uh, rainfall uh, every month, uh, and I superimpose that on something that's called the water year, which starts with the winter dry period, uh, November 1st, and concludes the following October 31st. And every so often, and it's going to be different for different locations, you have to apply a benchmark date. So I should have XYZ rainfall and XYZ forage by such and such a date. And for me, here in central Kansas, my first trigger date is April 1st. My second is June 30th. My um, next one is August 31st. And my last one is November 1st. And based on what has happened in the ensuing year and years immediate around it, I'm going to modify my behavior with those trigger dates. Hmm. So, so from those trigger dates, then what are those? What are you triggering? Well, um, possibly, I'm triggering no activity at all. I'm not going to. I'm not going to uh, stop monitoring. But for example, we've had an exceptionally dry fall and winter here. Mm -hmm. Uh, one of my benchmarks is if I don't get three and a half inches of moisture from November 1 to April 1, I'm not uh, doing any prescribed burning. And unless April is extremely wet, there isn't going to be prescribed fire on my ground. Um, my second one, okay, I should have received about 55% of my moisture input by June 15th, and I should have uh, produced about 60% of the biomass that I'm going to get by uh, June 15th. So at the end of June, I take my stick and I go measure. And if it's within the realm of normal, I don't react. Okay, but if, if my rainfall is 80% of my critical minimum, I'm going to plan to wean early. Okay, that effectively takes down stocking rate by uh, anywhere between 25 and 35%, depending on lactation output. If I'm less than 60% okay, of my critical minimum, uh, then I'm going to wean early and I'm going to plan to uh, do early preg checks and do some light culling in the herd. I mean, and those are things that you should be able to see the train coming down the tracks. Uh, you should know before the neighbors do, before the fellows at the yep. coffee shop do, and you can start to plan your marketing. Because each one of these trigger dates is either accompanied by an action or by some future marketing event. Cool. Let's take a break. When we come back, more with Dr. Casey Olson on drought prep, drought reaction, drought planning. You're watching Doc Talk. Hey folks, welcome back to Doc Talk. Dr. Dan Thompson here with my friend and colleague, Dr. Casey Olson. We're at Kansas State University, where Dr. Olson serves as the Lewis Chair of Grazing Livestock Nutrition. And we're talking about drought, talking about planning, we've talked about prepping, and now the other P that we don't want to have happen is procrastinating. And so what happens if I procrastinate? Well, um, animals continue to use a, a forage resource that is diminishing in its vigor. Um, there's atrophy in, in the root structure, uh, possible soil loss. I mean, this happened in this country during the dirty 30s. Um, 
basically unmodified grazing leads, leads to damage that you will not be able to correct in your lifetime. Hmm. So if we have to modify grazing practice, that means we're reducing stocking rate. And as we mentioned before, we can do simple things like wean early. We can uh, divest ourselves of transient cattle like stalkers and like any replacement heifers that aren't absolutely necessary. Uh, we can pregnancy check early. Okay, maybe after only 30 or 45 days of breeding exposure, find out 35 days later then you know, who is bred and who is not. And obviously the opens, they go. You know, if you still have too much uh, foot traffic, you still have too many animals, then it's time to, to look into that pregnant cow herd and uh, figure out who's old, who's ornery, and who's an oddball. Okay, and obviously they need to go become lean trim. <laughs> hey, listen, the ornery old oddballs are... Two of them are sitting there. Yeah, down. we'd be cold. <laughs> <laughs> but... The, it makes the, sense. The thing you don't want to, the place you don't want to ever be is having to destock and feed. That's incredibly expensive because when we're not growing grass, we're not growing crops either. Right. Okay. And that makes, that's going to affect those prices. Uh, and the other thing, and this happened a great deal in Kansas, much to my chagrin in 2012 and 2013, is just sell out and leave the industry. You know, we're seeing a lot of that. Um, you know, this is not a, this is not a business for the, faint of heart and uh, and it takes a lot of planning and it takes a lot of looking and a lot of observing and and I think that's what you're stay on top of it you'll miss more by not looking than you will by not knowing and and measure right measure record um it's it's a pretty pretty slick deal so let's get into 2013 all right we may have to take a break in this but uh, we at least get started. Okay, well, 2013 was a culmination of a three-year dry period here in the Flint Hills. And I will share this with you. We almost never run out of grass in this region of the country. What we run out of is water. So <laughs> that particular year, okay, we had almost no overwinter, uh, or sorry, we had abundant overwinter precept. Things didn't look bad on April 1st, but rainfall during April and June was about 55% of normal. And according to the water year, we were still you know, above normal moisture. But anytime you're supposed to get about 55% of your moisture input and you only get 10% of it, mm. you better be a little bit leery. So we just started with increased monitoring of, of uh, forage and water sources. Uh, the drought continued. Uh, so at the end of June, we'd planned to at least early wean. We knew we were going to do that. We weren't going to execute it right away, okay? But our calves were going to be off of our grass by August 1st. So um, during July and uh, August, okay, that's another trigger time for me. Rainfall was, again, about 50% of normal, with the critical minimum being 70% of normal. So we had to look at our replacement heifers uh, and our mature cows. Uh, we made a premature end of the breeding season just after 30 days of exposure. Uh, 35 days later, uh, we got in there with transrectal ultrasonography and diagnosed pregnancy. And we knew by about August 7th, okay, what we were gonna have to do. So at that, so at that point in time, you knew which ones were bred? You knew, I did. Yeah. You'd already early weaned. Now it was getting down to the, let's well, take a break there. 
All right. That'll give us a good spot. Remember, August 7th, that's where we're coming back to when we come back to you. Thanks for watching Doc Talk. Hey folks, welcome back to Doc Talk. Dr. Dan Thompson here with Dr. Casey Olson. Remember, we're flashing back to August 7th, 2013. 2013. Dr. Olson serves as the Lewis Chair of Grazing Livestock Nutrition here at Kansas State University, where we're at today. And you'd had your cows. I think that is pretty insightful to shorten that breeding exposure too. Well, you, you have to be continually looking forward when you know you're going to have to destock. So then the most fertile? Obviously the most fertile. The ones that were ready to get pregnant got pregnant. Got pregnant. And now it's kind of a, it's a good, probably wouldn't want to do it every year, but it's pretty good. <laughs> pretty yeah, good. just one time is enough for me actually. <laughs> so, so, then what, so then what happened? So um, we actually marketed our, our cattle and our non-bred replacement heifers uh, in mid-July via a national video auction. So we knew about how many calves we were going to have to sell. Okay, and we knew what weight they were going to be at and what day we were going to have to deliver them. That was not the scary part. The scary part was the heifer component. So based on what I assumed breed up was going to be, I, I went ahead and sold some of those heifers while they were still in my possession. Well, come to find out, I had a lot of fertile heifers that year. <laughs> and I had to, I mean, this makes me sad even now to talk about it. I had to utilize some, some heifers to make sure I honored my contract. On feeders? Yes. Well, it's better to do that than to send them yes. pregnant. Yes. So I wouldn't, it wouldn't be hard on yourself. Well, I did that, and then uh, based on you know, my predictions of what forage availability was going to be over the winter, because we grazed 24-7, 365 here, uh, I had to sell about 60 cows. And, and thinking through that, um, I decided that I wasn't going to try and do anything fancy from a marketing perspective. I was going to keep that money local, but I did not want to send 60 cows to a local auction on one day. Um, I figured that would just tank the, the price of, of uh, a cull cow for me and everybody else that was there with that kind of a glut. So beginning there in, in uh, mid-August, we took a trailer load of uh, cows to various auction markets around here once a week until they were all gone. And basically we beat the, the panic-driven drought marketing by at least six weeks that year. And our prices were very good. Uh, we went into that winter with the best restricted fees account balance that the cow-calf unit has ever had. I think we were 400,500 to the good. Okay. But the, the point is we were ready and able to react because we had a piece of paper that dictated how we were going to behave. This is the type of person we want at our land-grant universities. <laughs> so appreciative of the practicality, the relevance, and this, the, the real. Our students are very, very lucky, and so are our producers to have you. Well, that's very flattering. <laughs> um, I appreciate that, Doc. Well, we appreciate you, and, and if you want to remember, always work with your local veterinarian and your local nutritionist. If you want to find out more about what we do on Doc Talk, you can find us on the web at www.doctalktv.com. I'm Dr. Dan Thompson here with Dr. Casey Olson. We'll see you all down the road. 
Doc Talk is brought to you by Merck Animal Health. By integrating the comprehensive animal health product portfolio of Merck Animal Health with the innovative technologies of all flex livestock intelligence, we are shaping the future of animal health, resulting in more effective solutions and healthier animals.